Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to the Voice of the Valley. Yes, I'm, I'm Jeremy Pinch, and with me today I have Rick Whitmer and Pastor John. Welcome, guys. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I feel I feel welcomed. You should. Good. It's yeah. good. It's business time. It's business. <laughs> Let's get you down know. to it. We are we're here, and we're uh, we're going to continue our discussion on the uh, the order of salvation. Uh, today we're going to be hitting three things, our last three items on on our salvation discussion, and that's sanctification, security, and separation. Triple S. The triple S's. So last week, John and I talked about, um, what did we talk about? Regeneration and justification. justification. And today we're getting into sanctification. So again, if you have not read through our statement of faith, I would recommend it. Go to our resources and what we believe, and you can find all that information there. Uh, But today we're going to be looking at, well, first of all, we're starting with sanctification. And in our statement of faith, John and Rick, it says that this sanctification is a positional and instantaneous sanctification and should not be confused with uh, progressive sanctification. So sanctification is positional and instantaneous and is not to be confused with progressive sanctification. Um, and we get this, I believe, from from multiple passages, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes that we are washed, or you were washed, you were sanctified, and he yep. uses the past tense. Um, so what does it mean that we are positionally sanctified and that it's instantaneous? Um, well, it means that it's positional and instantaneous. Okay. And so I, I would, I would yeah. kind of wrap it up with that, mm. summarize it with that. But since well said, yeah, yeah, thank you. No, I, it's because uh, we are we've been given the righteousness of Christ. That's the positional aspect of it. We've been granted by God's grace the righteousness of Christ. First Corinthians chapter one verse thirty. He is to you a righteousness. Paul said, and so he's he's our righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ. Doesn't mean that we are practically currently like Jesus we're that's the that's the ongoing sanctification part uh, of this conversation we, we certainly have room to grow room to become more holy but positionally uh, we are at the the moment of justification granted the the sanctification the purity the righteousness of Christ as Paul talks about it as a a, a cloak, a robe that we put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mean we're still not the same person, the sinner underneath that cloak, but we have the righteousness of Christ that we've put on, and we've taken off the old, we put on the new, and we are now, in God's view, righteous, as Jesus Christ is righteous. That's the that's that idea. I think would would be the answer I would give. In that um, you know that passage in First Corinthians six, it's super significant to this discussion because Paul's he's addressing uh, a church that you know to be honest with you if if he hadn't come out at the beginning of the letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said that they were saints I'd actually have a hard time believing that it was a, a church full of saved people because mm-hmm. they were acting very unsaved 
uh, and Paul confronts them about their sin, which included rampant sexual immorality, um, you know, rejoicing over sin that even the pagan culture around them understood was inappropriate uh, in this matter of church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5, infighting and factions and all these things. And it, he, he confronts that, and, and he doesn't put them through a 12-step therapy program or ask them to, to dig deep within themselves. But what he does is he, he reminds them of the reality of what has happened to them. Hmm. You were washed. You were sanctified, right? So you were set apart from God. You were, as Paul says in Colossians, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So this is, that's who you are. Right. Okay. So because of that, be, be what God has made you to be. Right. And you were washed. And yes. you once were these things, but now God's done this to you. So stop mucking, you know, back there in the past like as if you'd never been made new, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and that is really the core of. And he repeats this in, in numerous epistles. Oh man, yeah, right. Um, it is interesting. He begins First Corinthians uh, by saying, "Because of him, you're in Christ, who became to us wisdom of God, righteousness, and sanctification." So we have God views us as He views His own Son in terms of cleansing in terms of purity, in terms of righteousness and sanctification. But there's an ongoing need, which, I mean, as Rick just said, this first letter of 1 Corinthians is more of a rebuke than anything. It's a rebuke to sinners that are actually saved. (laughs) And so, for the most part, I mean, sure, there are some people in the church that weren't saved, but like any church, but... They were saved people, and they were living like the world. Mm-hmm. But they were, according to verse 30 of chapter 1, righteous and sanctified mm-hmm. in God's eyes. So this is, this is an important doctrine to have clear in your mind. Yeah. Uh, as a Christian who struggles with sin, am I or am I not saved? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's a bottom-line question. I keep sinning. How can I be saved? It, I, it says that I'm supposed to be righteous and sanctified. Well, that's what we're talking about here. That you are in God's view, in positionally. Yeah. But then there's this practical application of sanctification that is more of a John seventeen seventeen thing. Yeah. Where Jesus said, "Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth." In other words, there's an ongoing process right. of becoming Christ-like. So what what's I guess what's the difference between justification and then this positional sanctification? Aren't we both isn't it kind of both the same thing happening at the same time? Yeah, let's just make them one. Let's throw out one of them. Let's, which one's harder to pronounce? Justification is the God's is a legal declaration, right? God God is declaring once for all that our sins are done away with. We are righteous in Jesus. And the flip side of that declaration is this taking and setting apart as holy, mm-hmm. as God's own, the, the justified person. Yeah. So you're right. They do happen at the same time logically, but they're distinct. Kind of like faith and repentance are different things, but they are both what it means to part of what it means to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the ways we can make a clear distinction is... One of them we participate in, 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 and one of them we don't, right? Do we participate in justification? No. 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 We, do we participate in sanctification? The progressive part. Yes. Yeah. Not positional. Right. But progressive, yes. Yeah. 
So we have a role in our progressive sanctification. We have no role in our positional sanctification or right. our justification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So is is the positional sanctification is that the changing of our character? Is that is that what's happening? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the uh Romans chapter 8 verse 30. Okay. You've been predestined to be conformed. It's a progressive thing. Yeah. Okay. And it's and that's so inseparable with regeneration. The new heart that is put within us. Yeah. Why are we the way that we are as believers? Is because we've been made new. We've been given the new birth. Yeah. yeah. And why are why are we remaining in a struggle with sin? Because we're jerks. Yeah. Well, some more than others. Well, okay. Well, more theologically. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it's that's very accurate theology. Maybe it's we're jerks and we're idiots because we still struggle with the flesh. Yeah. We still have an unregenerate, or um, <laughs> we have a regenerate nature that's in dealing with an unglorified nature yeah we are not what we will be but we are not what we were we were spiritually dead now we're spiritually alive but we're not yet in perfect conformity to christ so who 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 was paul intending to read his new testament epistles christians or non-christians christians and and what are what are those epistles full of Rebukes for sin, yeah. directions for yeah. sin. Direction for righteousness, how to live for Christ, uh-huh. you know, walk in a manner worthy, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And it's because we're unsanctified sinners. Yeah. So And if you want to sum it all up, really, I think the core essence of that of that message is be who you are in Christ by singularly looking to Christ. Yeah. And living by the Spirit. Yeah. And that I think, and that's the battle, right? Encapsulates that's the daily battle. The call, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and that's spirit. You know, that's spiritual warfare. Really, when yeah. you boil it down, it's not you know principalities and powers being taken, you know, cast out of people or out of regions or you know what it is is the the normal, mundane, very you know non glamorous, normal Christian life. Yeah, um, and putting on Christ day by day. Yeah. Yeah, putting off and putting on. Which is sanctification, that progressive part. So we got the positional sanctification. You've been set apart to God in Christ. You're declared righteous and you are holy. Now, grow into that. So so how do we work? How does that work? How does how does progressive sanctification work? If justification is all of God's work and, and our positional sanctification, mm-hmm. um, how does progressive sanctification work as we work along the Holy Spirit? Were you in church on Sunday? Yeah, man. Where I was. Were you? I was there. Yeah. Well, not yeah. mentally. I was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I, I noticed that, but <laughs> no. You were uh, sleep strong. This was this was a, a main point in my sermon. Uh, how are we to become like Jesus by being saturated by His Word? Mm-hmm. Jesus said this Himself: "Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth." Yeah. How are you going to become like Jesus? being dipped in a scripture vat. So are we, I guess, I, I guess, are we changing ourselves? No, no, no. We are, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another, beholding the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Okay. So we, but that's an act, we have, we have an active role to play, right? So, um, you know, I think the way that John Piper puts it in his book, uh, When I Don't Desire God, mm-hmm. and it's been years since I've read 
I don't think I read the whole thing. I read through this part of it. Um, you know, if you're going through a drought in your own soul, um, there's no rain. Um, and there's two roads that lie before you. One is sure to not ever have rain. And the other one, rain is probably coming, but you can't see it. Start walking down the path that rain is probably going to be on. Um, because you know that if you walk down the other path, it's not coming at all. Mm-hmm. So you have an active role to play in actually walking down the path, but you can't make the rain come. Mm-hmm. We have a role to play in actually following the commands of God and following after Christ, knowing that that's the only path on which the sanctification, the Christ-likeness comes. So we actually have to behold the glory of the Lord, which is what John's saying. Saturate mm-hmm. yourself with scripture. Mm-hmm. Look at Christ. Because only there can you be changed and will you be changed. Yeah, Colossians 3.16. Yeah. You know. So there's this active passive thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And and who when Jesus was uh, speaking in John 17, was he speaking to church leaders or to his father? To his father. Yeah. Speaking to his father. Mm-hmm. It's a recorded prayer. It's a high priestly prayer. He was speaking to his father. And so when he said in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth, that, that means he's asking the father to do the work of sanctification, the spirit to do the work of sanctification. He's not talking to church leaders. Mm-hmm. He's talking to his father. Mm-hmm. We, like I said on Sunday, join the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification in one another's lives by preaching, teaching, exhorting one another, counseling one another. These are all ways that we participate with the Holy Spirit who does the work mm-hmm. of transformation. We just simply join him in that. Yeah. So when we pick up the scriptures and explain it to one another or pray through it ourselves or study it, preach it, it we, are, we are doing what's required for one another to grow in Christ-likeness. Yeah. So you can't grow in sanctification unless you are in the Word of God. Correct. In fellowship with the saints. And, and the Holy Spirit is active. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah you cannot grow as a Christian, outside of Scripture or Christ's church. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's interesting because it's like you have to do something, otherwise you're not going to be sanctified. Right. But no matter how much you do, you can't be sanctified on your own. No. Your <laughs> efforts aren't, aren't the end of the matter yeah. at all. But you cannot become sanctified without efforts. Yeah. Right? God ordains means yeah, and he, he energizes them. Yes. And so it's, it's, that's why we actually believe in sovereign grace that, you know, just as we were, you know, from beginning to end, our salvation is not of our own. And that includes all the way through glorification. But that doesn't mean we sit there and hope it just happens. Yeah. You know, we actually have to lay hold of Christ. And so Paul says, you know, I was just reading uh, Romans 6 this morning, and he talks about dying to sin and living to God. And in verse 10, he looks at Christ who died, the death he died, he died to sin. And, and, uh, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that would be the first step of sanctification if you want to get practical. Consider yourself to be what is already true. Mm-hmm. Consider yourself dead to sin. So if I'm tempted today, and I will be, um, what I need to do first is look that temptation in the face and say, I'm, no, I, I'm dead to this. Just because my flesh wants it doesn't mean I'm at all bound to do this. Yeah. I was dead. I'm not anymore. So I'm going to go live. Right. And I actually can walk away by God's help. Yeah. Because I can see, you have to, at first, it's a change of mind. And that's actually what the word repentance means. It's a change of mind. Uh, I don't think the way I once did about these things. 
I now must hate them. So I'm going to consider myself dead to them and then live as a dead man to sin and a, a live man to God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something only the regenerate person whom God has already showed up and given them a new heart can actually do. So as we, as we move into our discussion on eternal security, uh, I think people <clears throat> can use this, what we were just discussing of, you know, I'm, I'm righteous before God, therefore I can go and do what I want. And I know we've talked about that in the past, um, but we, we say in our statement of faith, we teach that it is a privilege of believers to rejoice in the assurance of their salvation through the testimony of God's word, which, however, clearly forbids the use of Christian liberty as an occasion for sinful living in carnality. Now, I think for some people, uh, eternal security for believers is something that they struggle through. Uh, and in our statement of faith, we have passage after passage after passage <laughs> uh, speaking of eternal security. Um, but why why do people struggle with this idea that once saved, always saved? Why is that such an issue with people? I, I think that there's a few reasons, but one of them is, is because they erroneously think they had something to do with the initiation of their salvation. <laughs> yeah. And, and if they had something to do with the initiation of their salvation, then certainly they could have something to do with the demise hmm. of their salvation. Hmm. So I, I think those who embrace uh, the potential of losing your salvation are also ones who think that they have everything to do with gaining their salvation. Hmm. I chose Jesus. I believe the gospel. I understand doctrine, and that's why I'm saved. Um, which is, I think, more dangerous than <laughs> believing you can lose your salvation. Man, it's a very dangerous form of pride. It is. And, and the funny thing is, they don't think it's pride at all. Oh, I know. <laughs> they're, they're completely blind to it. Yeah. Which pride does. <laughs> right. I've heard that. I've, I'm not I feel proud. really I'm bad just for really those good. people. I feel bad for prideful people. <laughs> Me too. I'm so thankful, Lord, I'm not like them. <laughs> oh, proud man. You know, um, it is that. It, it really does. Okay, so the essence of man-made religion, fill in the blank, Islam, Mormonism, take your pick, is works righteousness. Mm. Okay? So you're going to deny the Trinity and believe that you can obtain righteousness through your efforts. That's 100% of a worldly religion. And that doesn't die easily. And so if that's the essence of unbelief, then even believers will struggle throughout their lives with acting as if their righteousness depended on them. Hmm. And so I think that's, like John's saying, is this is one of the main reasons that people are afraid that they will lose their salvation. Because if they had something to do with it in the first place, then they, they better hold on tightly enough. Yeah. Otherwise, and I used to, when I was going through a, a vicious season of doubt of my salvation, um, when I was 17, 16, 17 years old. That was about a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Look at the gray man in this beard. I die it. Um, <laughs> I remember thinking, John John 15, that, you know, I, that no one can snatch my sheep out of my father's hand. I remember thinking, well, great. No one else can lose my salvation, but I can, but maybe I can jump. Hmm. But what's to keep me from jumping? You know, I just... I used to find these back doors that aren't actually there to these promises. <laughs> just, just because you enjoyed self-torment? Yeah. 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 Lashing. Mm -hmm. Honey, where's the lash? Where's my whip? <laughs> Did you add the whip again? 
Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a there's a, a common misunderstanding too in in the reading of James. Yeah. You know, right. they, many people say that James and Paul disagree on this matter. Yeah. And actually, James is supporting Paul in the matter. So he says he says so. Also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. And um, because someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you faith by my works. Um, so uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting debate, but it's, it's clearly uh, impossible for the Apostle James and the Apostle Paul to disagree in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So we misunderstand if there is something to misunderstand. We're the ones misunderstanding, and I think that's the case here. James is actually saying, if you've truly been saved, there will be works. You're not working for your salvation. Right. You haven't produced this in and of yourselves. No. If you're saved, then this will be a part of your life. We'll see sanctification. We'll see this progress towards Christ-likeness. He, he never had an inkling of participating in his salvation yeah. or working towards merit. That, that was not in James's mind. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther even was confused about this at a certain point in his life. Thankfully, I think he he recovered. But uh, but even then, he he put James down on the totem pole of he important did. New Testament epistles because he he really struggled with what you're talking about. Yeah, he in did. James right now. He did. It's so good to know that a guy of Martin Luther's stature struggles with something that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, <laughs> Doctor Schubert. <laughs> well, you know, and when the James most is, eminent doctor when we, when we read faith is, um, is justified justified by works that we are justified by works in james what we need to read is um our modern not you know don't substitute the words but the idea of prove it so if you say you know i'm an expert in car repairs i'm going to bring you my you know my dilapidated car and i'm going to say prove it or justify that claim yeah and james is saying if your faith is authentic it will be justified it will be proven Mm -hmm. it will be backed up Mm -hmm. by these works that justified people do Right, and that's what the book of James is about. We, right. We've recently studied this at Sun Valley Church, and the whole book we discovered is about proofs of genuine faith. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's looking at salvific justification. We are just made righteous by right. faith alone in Christ. James is looking at the flip side of that. Right. And he's saying, and that person is going to show. Right. Just like Abraham's faith was shown by what he did. Rahab's faith was shown by what she did. Yeah. So they're going to live a separated life as our statement of faith moves into. Now, we're not talking about eternal separation in this portion we're talking no. about. Holiness, right? Yeah, a holy life. Right. Um, and in this, in this statement, it says, We teach that out of the deep gratitude of undeserved grace of God granted to us, the joy that is available to the obedient, and because of our glorious God is so worthy of our total consecration, cons- consecration um all the saved should live in such a manner as to demonstrate our adoring love to god and so not as to bring reproach upon our lord and savior now i think for those who are legalistic we we look at living a holy life as to-do lists right living as to uh, i have to do this because that's i'm a christian that's just what i do and i where we're saying our our life of separation is actually because Christ is 
worth it. Christ is so much better than anything else, and we want to live a life that glorifies him and, and do that. So how, how does one do that? How does one, how does, if someone's legalistic, how do we change that mindset of a list to this is something that brings me joy and delight? How does someone, could you restate the question for us slower ones who are still trying to figure out whether you said compensation or consecration? I I like the concept. Is it payday? Yeah, it's close. No, uh, so for someone like me who who is more of like I do this because I'm a Christian, like I a legalist, a legalist. Okay. Um, how do you how do you help me think differently? And and I want to live a life that's separated because of uh, Christ is is worthy. Christ is beautiful. Christ is lovely. I I want to live a life that is separated because of what Christ is and who He is and what He's done on my behalf. Yeah. Well, we we're not justified by works of the law, right? Right. So there, there's no salvation in that. There's there's no sanctification in that. It's salvation being a, a, a word used as a summary of all of the Christian life. There is no justification by works of the law. There's no sanctification by works of the law. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and I think the book of Hebrews really is helpful here. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, the author is trying to convince legalistic Jews that Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than angels. Christ is more lovely than anything tabernacle. And so that's the that's the draw. That's the thing that God has designed uh, to attract his people. It's the nectar that I spoke of on Sunday that, mm-hmm. that draws people into a life of holiness, of separation, the beauty of Christ is is what satisfies the soul, not merit chasing, yeah. not yeah. Um, following laws and rules. We we do follow follow laws and rules. We we follow the laws of Christ, right? We follow the the, the rules. You spoke on that a few months ago um, about the old versus new covenant. We're law keepers, mm-hmm. but we don't. The reason we keep law is really important, mm-hmm. right? That's it. What's it. what's what's the new covenant say about the law? It's not that the law is gone. No, it's where fulfilled. It, instead of being written on stone, where's it written? It's on the heart. Yeah, and it's fulfilled by our Savior. Yeah, yeah. And so the legalism by nature. So we, we only have two eyes, and we can only fix our gaze really on one thing at a time. Legal, Unless you're Marty Feldman. What was that? Unless you're Marty Feldman, who can look two ways at once. <laughs> yeah, and you know. thankfully I'm not. So, so that was my wife's in for a surprise. Um, <laughs> Like, Marty? Anyway, sorry. You know, and so we look at, you know, legalism looks at obedience, and that's where it fixes its gaze, yeah. right? And Christ is secondary. True Christ-centered delight looks at Christ in obedience as an outflow. Yeah. So the starting point matters. And so I would say for the legalist, the number one thing that you can do is study Jesus. Yeah. Get so much Jesus before you. Um Mark Jones's book, Knowing Christ, use that as a Bible study to, to walk you through who is Jesus. Get whatever you can do to get more Jesus before your eyes, as he truly is, the the legalism actually loses its luster mm-hmm. because his glory far outshines mm-hmm. it. And it's not that the flip side is gonna necessarily look totally different. The legalist was not gonna commit adultery, and the Christ delighter is not gonna commit adultery, but the reasons are different. Yep. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I, had, 
I struck this is this has pastoral ministry implications big <laughs> yeah. time and in my first few years of pastoral ministry and I, I it'd go beyond a few to like a decade of my pastoral ministry I thought the way to get people to be be better Christians to walk more circumspectly was to just browbeat them and uh, make them feel guilty about not doing what a good Christian ought to do. You know, and, and this was coming from me, a youth pastor, who thought, man, what's wrong with you people? You, you youth, <laughs> you, you don't love Jesus. Look at your lives. And thankfully, about a, a, a couple of years before Sun Valley Church started, I had a transformation of grace that, that was, uh, I think, a blessing to myself as much or more than a blessing to Sun Valley Church that was planted in 2003. By the time we planted Sun Valley Church, I had been transformed by grace and believed that, that it is God's grace that, that is the only thing that transforms a soul, not the guilt that we can lay on each other by demands of the law, yeah. even, even though they're good and right, the demands of the law, right? Paul said that the, the, the law is good. Right? But right. That, that's not the motivation for Christian living. The motivation for Christian living is Christ and his grace and mercy. What prompts people to be better givers, better servers, better husbands, better wives, more obedient children is not the law at all. Killer it's, worship team. Huh? A killer worship team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that next. I think that's next on the list. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a, a clearer view of Christ. Yeah, that's what motivates <laughs> graceful living. Yeah. Is seeing the graceful one clearly. Mm-hmm. What motivates people to give more, serve better, be more sacrificial, is looking at the one who's done those things before us, yeah. Christ Jesus, yeah. in, in Hebrews chapter twelve. You know, being surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, all these people who have done the very thing I'm talking about. Keep your eye on Christ as you move forward. Yeah. You know, run the race with your view on Christ, not your view on the law. You, you want to beat legalism in your life? Focus on Jesus. Yeah. And that cloud of witnesses, you know, it, the context is the people in, you know, chapter 11. Yes. And the faithful. by the time you get there, there's some surprises on that list. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought Lot would be there, you know? Like, all we know about him from the Old Testament, you thought... Boy, and what, prostitutes. A, what a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's the surprise of grace. Not that it diminishes holiness, but it imputes the righteousness of Jesus to people who you never would ever imagine mm-hmm. it could. And then it it sanctifies them. We're, and we're speaking about motivation here, yeah. right? Motivation right. for holiness, motivation for separation. Mm-hmm. And that has to come from our view of Christ. Yeah. Like like you, you quoted earlier from Second Corinthians, you know the the glory of Christ is what transforms us, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's not the the beauty of the law, and the law is beautiful. The, the law, I mean, Psalm one nineteen. How many times does it say that? Oh, how I love your law! Mm-hmm. But what transforms the heart? What 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 makes us long for separation and and the and the pursuit of holiness? is a clear view of Christ, our Savior. Mm-hmm. And nothing will do make that happen except that. Yeah. And that's a wonderful <laughs> understanding to have. Yeah. 
as a Christian. And my, my opinion is uh, that's the only true form of separation and holiness. If, you're, if your separation and holiness is motivated by legalistic righteousness, you're not separate and holy. You're pridefully distinct mm-hmm. from those who God is actually changing. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. So yeah. I'll put that on Twitter. Yeah, we'll tweet that. Yeah, I'm going to make a plea to parents right now because um, this works out in the lives of Reformed households in a very nuanced way that can be pretty dangerous. You know, so we give this book out to at every baby dedication, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. It's wonderful. And I think we have a baby dedication coming up, don't we? I think, we? We, yeah. If your baby's not dedicated, bring them, you yeah. know. Um, and we'll dedicate the parents. We will. Yeah. And we'll sprinkle the... No, 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 no. That's no, not no. that church. No. Um, and it that's says in there life. that the first, the one lesson that your kids need to learn in the first five years of their life is that they, they're not God, right? And so they, they live under the authority of God mediated by their parents. And so they actually, the one lesson they need to learn is mom and dad are the boss because God is God. Mm-hmm. Now, so we hit heavy on um, obedience to rules, right? Right. And spanking for rebellion, right? So that's a huge part of the first five years of a child's life, which are insanely formative. Mm-hmm. Now, the danger is that that can translate, if we're not careful to always put Jesus, who he is, at the center of our home and teach them the character of God um, in all the rules, is a kid who's going to spend most of their relationship with God in confession. Mm. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to tell my own children and myself, because this is how I know I'm, be- I'm slipping back into legalism, is if I'm spending the majority of my prayers in confession, trying to atone through confession for every single one of them. Mm-hmm. No, we have to be constantly telling our kids, guys, your confession of sin is a path to a vibrant relationship with God. If you spent most of your relationship with mom or dad saying, hey, will you forgive me for this? Will you forgive me for that? How good of a relationship would, would you have with them? Mm. Well, you wouldn't. It would just it would not be fun at all. If you, we enjoy each other because we don't spend most of our time asking for forgiveness. We spend our time cultivating love, and that's what we need to do with God. Mm. The outworking will be obedience, but that's yeah. not. So think about emphasis. think about how we portray that on Sunday morning at Sun Valley Church. How much of our time, Jeremy, do we spend um, repenting? Uh, and we have an hour and 15, hour and 20 minute long service. Mm-hmm. How many of those minutes are spent repenting versus how many of those are spent rejoicing? Three minutes. Three, five, four, five, five at the most. Five at the most. If you probably. include the corporate yeah. confession. Depends yeah. on who's and, leading And the, the silence that we're given. Yeah, and and the, only the confession part, maybe 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the rest of the service is rejoicing in our Savior. Yes. Including the preaching mm-hmm. of grace. So that's a really good point, Rick. I, I'm glad you made that made that point because it is true. We we can our natural instinct is to beat ourselves mm-hmm. for our sin yeah. mm-hmm. so that we're acceptable to the one we must be judged by. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is the this is the counterintuitiveness of the gospel. Right? Mm-hmm. This so is we, it. We can actually, if we're not careful, deny the gospel in our confession of sin. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Repent of our repentance, as the, as the Puritans used uh-huh. to say. Yeah, you know. And I was just talking to a family member about this, you know, who's realizing sin more and more as they're becoming more godly, and that's the that's the genius of how God's orchestrated this whole thing. The holier we become, the more holy we understand Him to be, and the more sinful we understand ourselves to be, mm-hmm. and that's by God's design. Because can you imagine what a danger it would be to us to become more holy 
and feel the holiness of our own lives, how much we would shy away from God. But God works it in to where we, we actually feel our need of him more yeah. the more we become like him. It's amazing to think sanctification actually undoes pride. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't right. build it up. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's like, hey, here's the good news. You're way worse than you could possibly imagine. And Jesus knew that and died yeah. for you. So go to him yeah. again. Yeah. Slippy, slappy, slummy, type Samsonite. Samsonite. <laughs> way off. Swan- Swanson? Uh. Well, church, we hope that this has been an encouragement to you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we hope you have a great day. And we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.